Matthew 5, 38-48 Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asks thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You may be seated. Thank you for reading those verses. I realize that I may put you on the spot a little bit to ask you to read a passage that so many people here know perfectly by memory. I've noticed some people quoting along as you were reading, and I also know that some of them pick out any letter that you miss as you read, but I think you did a good job. I'm not sure there was anything they could pick out this morning. Uh, many of you are aware that the quizzing season in which many of our young people are involved is drawing to a conclusion with the retreat this weekend. That passage is Matthew chapters 1 to 10, most of the verses from that passage. And I would like everyone that's quizzing this year, as well as all of the coaches this year, to just stand up. Okay, quite a group of people. Uh, are all the coaches standing that are quizzing? Not sure. Okay, thank you. You may be seated. I just want to commend you for the effort that you put forth into memorizing this passage, the verses, and uh, the, uh, yes, the effort that you did that. Certainly a tremendous activity. I know that as you look forward to the conclusion, many of you may have your eyes on a trophy, but... Trophies pass away. God's word is forever. God's word will endure. And uh, I just want to uh, ask God's blessing on you. I challenged and encouraged each of you to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. I think that was about eight, a little more than eight months ago when we began preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm wondering how the rest of you are making out. How many of you have memorized this Sermon on the Mount or are still working on it? Just raise your hand if you have it memorized or are still working on doing it. Okay, there, there's a number of you. I won't ask how many of you committed to doing it at the beginning. But I did ask you to be accountable. Make yourselves accountable to each other. And if someone asks you to be accountable 
if they could be accountable to you, I just want to encourage you to respect that and to uh, give them the encouragement that they need. The title of the message this morning, as you may have noticed in the bulletin, is A Rose Among Skunks. Now, some of you may be wondering about that title and what that has to do with Matthew chapter 5. Some of you may be thinking that I must not have gotten enough sleep last night with a time change to end up with a title like that. But I'd like to explain what we are thinking of this. If we had a rose blooming by our front door, that rose would smell like a rose. If we had some very distinguished guests invited to our house who walked by that rose as they entered, that rose would smell like a rose. But if a salesman came to our front door trying to sell us replacement windows, that rose would still smell like a rose. And if an intruder came when we were all away from home intending to enter our house and walk out with things that did not belong to him, as he walked by that rose, that rose would still smell like a rose. If we would cut that rose and put it into a very expensive vase and place it here in the front of the church, that rose would smell like a rose. Or we could stick it into a plastic bottle and carry it into a pig pen. And that rose would still smell like a rose, at least for a little. If a group of energetic children would be playing in the front yard and would trample on that rose and break it and crush it under their feet, that rose would still smell like a rose, more than ever. If a family of skunks would make their home nearby and walk by that rose each evening, that rose would still smell like a rose. A rose smells like a rose, not because of its surroundings, not because of its company, and not because of what other people do to it. A rose smells like a rose because it is a rose. What a wonderful example for a follower of Jesus. For a true follower of Jesus, our actions are determined not by our environment, not by our company, not by what is done to us. Our actions are determined by who we are. And that is the lesson that Jesus is teaching in these verses from Matthew chapter 5 that Joseph just read. If you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven this morning, I'm comparing you to a rose, and you are expected to live like a rose. Now, our carnal minds tell us that if someone does something unpleasant to us, we need to do in order to teach them a lesson. And it's pretty easy to list logical reasons why we should respond to them in the way that they responded or in the way that they acted. But Jesus' teaching is not based on human logic. So this morning, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, a child of God, you are expected to respond to people and to all actions in all situations in a godlike manner. How they act towards you should make no difference 
in how you act towards them. Just like a rose will always smell like a rose. There's a story told about General Robbie years ago. And he had a meeting with the President of the United States. And during this meeting that he had, the President asked General Lee about a certain officer in the Army. And Mr. Lee proceeded to praise that officer in very complimentary terms, describing all his abilities and all his contributions which he has made. And Mr. Lee's attendant that was with him was astonished to hear such words of praise and interrupted him. And said, General, do you not realize that the man you speak of so highly is one of your worst enemies? And he misses no opportunity whatsoever to slander you every chance he gets. Yes, said the general, I realize that. But the president asked for my opinion of him. He did not ask for his opinion of him. See, he responded like a rose even in that situation. When you stand before God, when I stand before God, when we stand before God, God will not hold us accountable for other people's actions toward us. God will hold us accountable for our actions towards them, for our response towards them. And it doesn't matter what they do to us. You see, you may not be able to help what other people do to you, but your response to them is your choice. And there is also a right response, regardless of their actions against you. Our response needs to be based on who we are, not based on who they are. So the question I ask this morning is, if you are a rose, what will you do if you find yourself in the presence of skunks, in the presence of people who mistreat you? Will you continue to be a rose? Your response to other people reveals much more about you than it does about them. Let's look at this passage from Matthew chapter 5. First of all, Jesus is not making an appeal to human logic. Now, he refers to human logic. He says what you have heard as he has been doing throughout this chapter. And in this uh, text, uh, or this section of verses that Joseph read this morning, two times he says, ye have heard. Ye have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Verse 43, ye have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. And these things that ye have heard said by them of old time is very logical. The Old Testament law was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I think what this law was really saying was one eye for one eye. Only one eye for an eye and only one tooth for a tooth. If it destroys your eye, you had the right to destroy one of their eyes, not two. You could not seek to go to extremes simply because you're upset at what happened or to teach that man a lesson. Love your neighbor. And hate your enemy. That is logical. Look out for those who are close to you, but do what you can to get rid of those who harm you. That was the logical part, but that is what you have heard. But Jesus is not making an appeal to human logic. Jesus goes beyond the logical and carries us beyond. 
You see, the ways of the kingdom do not always make sense to our way of thinking. What Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on does not always add up if we try to look at it logically. And we may not always understand how it works. But Jesus is not calling us to understand. He is calling us to obey. Some time ago, I had a conversation with an acquaintance of mine. And this man asked me, what would you do if an armed intruder entered your home intent on harming your family? This gentleman had asked prior to that if I own any guns, if I do any target shooting or any hunting or anything like that, and I replied that I do, and then he come out with this question, so what would you do if an armed in house? And I replied to him that in a situation like that, I doubt that the thought of getting a gun would even enter my mind. And this gentleman's response was very logical. He gave a very logical response. He said, it is your duty to protect your family. And by not protecting your family, he says, you're actually protecting protecting the intruder rather than the family that you should be protecting. We cannot argue with that logic. But Jesus is not calling us to logic. He is calling us beyond the logic. You see, in the logical way of thinking, to die is defeat. To suffer at the expense of others is defeat. To be taken advantage of is defeat. To have your possessions taken from you is to be defeated. That's the logical way of thinking. But in Christ's kingdom, it is more honorable to die, upholding his principles, which is dying victoriously, than it is to live by forsaking his principles, which is living in defeat. So Jesus is calling us beyond the logical. Moving on. Non-resistance is a daily lifestyle. Baptists, we hear about non-resistance quite frequently. Anabaptists are known for their non-conformity and their non-resistance. And what does non-resistance mean? Non-resistance means we do not go to war. We do not join the military. That's the big thing. But Jesus here is saying that non-resistance is in the little things in our life. It's not just the big things. It's the little things. Jesus said in another situation, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. And I think that applies to the principle of non-resistance. If we cannot be non-resistant in the small things, how do we expect that we would be non-resistant in the big things? If we fail in the small, we will likely also fail in the big. Real non-resistance takes place in day-to-day living, in the little things. And Jesus gave some examples in this passage. He gave some examples of some unpleasant situations. We could compare them to a skunk walking by. And what will our response be when the skunk walks by? Our natural response is, well, we need to treat that skunk like a skunk. 
And maybe if we treat him like a skunk, we can convince him to become a rose. Well, does that make sense? Of course not. And Jesus' part, uh, his, um, his emphasis here is ours needs to be appropriate. So he gives some examples. His one example, first example, is someone smiting you on the cheek. Now, I don't think what Jesus was referring to here was so much physical injury, somebody trying to knock you out. What he was referring to was a slap on the face, which was a personal insult. A slap on the face in this culture was considered a deliberate and ultimate act of disrespect, something that was intended to be a severe insult. And Jesus' response was, if someone insults you, do not insult them back. Do not treat insults. Do not rise up in self-defense of your character. If you rise up in self-defense and throw back an insult, you are actually simply proving your lack of character. But you need to refrain from this trading of insults. We might say, well, what a weakling. Just allow people to do what they want to. Allow yourself to get run over. But it is only the strong who can accept an insult graciously. Jesus gives another example, that of someone taking away your coat. Now, in the Old Testament, if someone owed you money, legally, you could take certain things from them in repayment of their debt. You could take away their coat, but the law stopped at their cloak. The cloak was kind of like a, something that someone would themselves in, usually under their coat. They would use it at night as a blanket to lie on or to cover themselves with. And it was considered one of the basic possessions that they had. And the law obeyed you removing that basic possession. And what Jesus is saying, if someone takes advantage of you to the fullest extent of the law and goes right up to the limit and takes away even your coat, you may go one step farther and giving, and by giving to them even that which they are not allowed to take away. When someone takes advantage of you, just do a bit more. And then he gives the example of someone carrying, making you carry their baggage. And we're familiar with the uh, law at the time that a Roman soldier could demand of a Jew to carry his luggage, his baggage, for up to one mile, but no farther. Jesus was saying, if he does everything he's allowed to do, just go a little bit farther. Do not see yourself as a victim, but be an initiator. And when you've walked a mile, look at him with a smile on your face and say, would you like me to carry it another mile? I'll be glad to do that for you. That is what Jesus is asking us to do. Now, I wonder if Jesus will give this sermon today in our culture, what examples he would give. We are not accustomed to being able to walk a mile with someone or having our coats taken away. I wonder if Jesus would say, if any man cuts you off in traffic, do not blow your horn at him or, t or flash your headlights at him. And whosoever shall insult you with a sarcastic comment, return to him two sincere compliments. 
Let's look for ways in which we can make this practical today. You see, Jesus introduced these ideas into Beatitudes. When we talked about the Beatitudes, I mentioned their kind of induction to what Jesus was going to talk about later. And we see that in this passage, a development of some of the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. And in this passage, he is describing a meek lifestyle. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And he is describing a peacemaker in this passage. We may talk about that a bit more. So non-resistance is a daily lifestyle. It's shown by our response in the little things. It's also shown by giving to those who ask. Now, when I first wrote down this point, I wrote down, it is shown by our giving to those in need. But as I reread this passage, I realized that's not what it says. It doesn't say anything about giving to people that need. It talks about giving to people who ask whether they need it or not. And that's a concept that I have struggled with and probably many of us have struggled with here. Missionaries may be warned, do not start handing out money to people that ask for it because it's going to make problems. If you spent any time in the inner city, you probably encounter asking for money for a meal. And you may have been warned not to support their habits. How do we correspond this with Jesus' teaching? Give to him that asketh thee. In my youth years, I was involved in city ministry numerous times. I heard these warnings. use. If I went out in the street, I made sure my pockets were empty. That way someone would come asking me for money. I'm sorry, I don't have any. It was a very easy response. As years went on, I wasn't always comfortable with that response. Last summer, our family spent a day in the city of Baltimore, and we met up with a couple beggars. I did not help them out, but I did feel convicted about that. I mean, here I am. I have so much. What do they have? I don't know. It didn't appear like they had much. I would not miss a few dollars. A few dollars. I would never miss it. Some of you may remember a couple years ago, Merle Burkholder was here for a um, missions weekend. Recently, uh, we acquired a book led by his hand, and these are stories from Merle Burkholder's life. And he gives a, a story of one time he was in Toba in a bus station waiting to catch a bus back to Dryden. Sitting in the bus station, he noticed this drunk stagger in and walked to someone across the room and he asked them, can you give me $2? I have a wife and children that live on the other side of the city, and I can't get to them. I need $2 for a bus ticket. Well, that person refused. So this man staggered on to the next person, and next person, next person. Everyone refused. The man just stood there straight and looked around, and across the room he saw Merle and Edith sitting there. And this man said, nobody gives me money. I'm going to ask the preacher and his wife. I don't know how he knew he was a preacher, but somehow he surmised that. So everyone in the room watched as this man staggered over to them. He launched into a long story about needing to get home to his wife. And meantime, Merle was thinking. So what would you have done? 
Merle reached into his pocket and he pulled out two dollars. And he told that man, he said, I have two dollars in my hand, but I want you to know that these are God's dollars. God gave this money to me. And if you want to use God's dollars, you may. But you are responsible to God for how you use his money. I don't know if your story is true or not, but God knows. And he gave him $2. The man walked off. And another man sitting across the room came over to him and said, You're a fool. You just bought a drink for that man. Merle said to him, did you hear the conversation I had with that man? And he said, no. So Merle talked to that man about how that his money is God's money. And that that man is accountable to God for how he used that money. So that is one response. Jesus said, give to him that asketh of thee. Living in Romania, we encountered many situations where people would come and ask us for things. And we were continually challenged by the response of the Romanian Christians to other people. They would give even though they had little when our tendency may have been to just turn and walk away. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. When I lived in northwestern Ontario as a youth, I had a few things that people liked to borrow. Particularly, a very good rifle and a shotgun. And there were some young boys that I knew that liked to go hunting but didn't really have the means. So they would come to me. May I borrow your rifle? May I borrow your shotgun? That wasn't always easy for me because the people in that culture were not known for taking good care of things. One afternoon, I went with one of these young men hunting. He was using my shotgun. He made a comment, which I never forgot. He said, I find it amazing how you Americans take care of your stuff. And it was not said as a compliment. And that thought really stuck with me. And by the time I left Ontario, lived there for a little more than two years, I concluded that if I were to return and live there again, probably the best thing for me to do would to be to bring nothing with me that I would not be willing to share with others. Because... If they could do without it, so could I. And if I needed it, they did too. Merle tells another story in this book. They moved to Haiti for a little while. He's living in Canada again, but they also served in Haiti for a while. And when he moved to Haiti, he determined that that was how he was going to live. He had an interesting conversation with the pastor of the church before he moved there. The pastor said, where are you going to get your food? Merle responded, where do you get your food? At the market. 
Well, that's where we'll get our food, too. Well, how are you going to get to the market without a vehicle? Well, how do you go to the market? We take a tap-tap. Okay, we'll take a tap-tap, too. The pastor asked, how will you cook your food? Merle said, how do you cook your food? He said, we use wood or charcoal. Well, we will use wood or charcoal, too. And the pastor went on and asked him a number of questions, and the pastor just could not comprehend that this American would come there and try to live like they do. To him, it seemed out of place. But finally, he was convinced, and, and Merle went on to have a very effective um, relationship with the people in that community. Well, perhaps that stimulates your thinking. We need to move on. An unresistant lifestyle is shown by our love to those who are unlovely. A couple quotes. Love is not if. Love is not because. Love is anyway. Love is even though. And love is in spite of. Love is the place to start when you don't know what else to do, place to finish when you have tried everything else. We're talking about verse 44, where Jesus says, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Paul said, Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. Well, how did Christ love you? Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Christ loved us when we were unlovely. And that is what we are asked to do, to love other people when they are unlovely. We are asked to be a rose, even in the company of skunks. Do good to them that hate you. Booker T. Washington, many of you recognize his name, a black man who grew up in very um, difficult situations. People did not respond to him always in a loving way. His response to them was very um, worthy to be followed. He made the statement, I shall allow no man to depress and belittle my soul by making me hate him. I will not allow another person to belittle me by making me hate him. It is shown by our love to those who are unlovely. It's also shown by surrendering our rights. I think we will move on. Uh, might just make one comment. There is a book that was required reading for the mission personnel when I served in Ontario. The title of the book is Have We No Rights? And the emphasis of the book is how that we as Christians, it was written specifically to missionaries, but it applies to all Christians, how any right that we think we have, we may be asked to give up in living for Christ. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus goes on to say in verse 45, that ye may be the children of your father. And I ask, do you resemble your father? Now, it's well known that children often resemble their father. Both children and fathers take satisfaction in this. A child desires to be like his father. And a father loves to see his child following him. Sometimes we hear the comment, it's not hard to tell who he is. He's just like his dad. They resemble their father. 
Jesus introduces this concept of the fatherhood of God, which is a new concept to the Jews. In the Old Testament, they did not consider God their father. Are you recognized as a child of your father? You see, our father responds based on who he is, not on how people react to him. This verse, verse 45, says, Our father makes the son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He gives rain to the farmers who grow corn, but he also sends rain to the farmers who raise tobacco. He does that because of who he is, not because of who they are. A rose is always a rose, and God is always God. Are you as reliable as your father? Now, obviously, the answer to this question is no, I am not. We are not as reliable as God, but that needs to be our goal. Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Be like your Father, unchangeable in the face of people's response to him. We should always resemble the rose. The contrast in these verses is so clear. There will be those who smite you and insult you. There will be those who take advantage of you. There may be those who curse you and hate you and despitefully use you. But then there is our God, our Father in heaven, who faithfully continues to make his son to rise morning after morning after morning on all these people. He is just like that rose that will always smell like a rose. Are you recognized as a child of your father? Is your response to those around you just as consistent as his? I'm going to close with a reading that you've likely seen before. And this reading is often attributed to Mother Teresa. I understand she had it posted on her the home there, the center that uh, they lived in in India. I think it's a good summary of this passage and God's expectations of us. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years, what you spend years creating, others may destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some people may be jealous, but be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Do the best you have, and it will never be enough, but do good anyway. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. 
It was never between you and them anyway. Let's kneel for prayer. Father, this morning we come to you acknowledging our humanness and acknowledging our tendency to react to people in inappropriate ways, depending on who we perceive them to be or how they act towards us. We're challenged by your words this morning to love anyway, to bless anyway, to pray anyway. We're challenged by your example when you were mistreated. Lord, I pray that we could grow in your likeness. I pray that we could be recognized as your children, that people could look at us and say, he is a child of God. May you work in our lives and guide us for your will and for your honor and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.